episode for now. Decide to ride there. Then we get into our study. Barehu et Adonai ha-mevorah Baruch Adonai ha-mevorah Ne'olam ha-leh Baruch atah Adonai Elohedu melech ha-olah Asher batarvanu mikohanu Venatamlanu et tolato Baruch atah Adonai Noten ha-torah Noten ha-mikadashah Noten ha-mishim Abba, we once again meet you on this Shabbat, which you set aside for your people to remember, Lord, that you can work, but don't forget to worship the Lord. So we thank you for your continued guidance and for your word, Lord, not only for your Torah, but also for your big Hadashah. And the season, Lord, all of the seasons, the appointed time that you've given was to reflect and to show us Yeshua, and all the works that he's done throughout throughout the course of time, Lord, with the culmination of his kingdom coming soon. <clears throat> so be with us, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. So we're celebrating Yom Kippur, which is a very uh, holy season, but let's just go review it quickly, real quick. So there are seven appointed feasts commanded by Yahweh or Yehovah or God and are known as the Feast of Yahweh. And these are the feasts, some people call it the Feast of Israel, but Yahweh has called it his own personal feast. These are my feasts. And the feast in Hebrew is Moed or Moedim for plurals, which means his appointments. It's fixed times and festivals that the Lord wanted to meet with us. So it's like when a couple is serious, sets their wedding date, they agree to be there on their chosen date and time. So the God of Scripture, He had set apart seven specific days for His people to spend time in Him in order to gather and celebrate and to remember everything that He has done. He's shown His love, His care, His miraculous works so that they would not forget and depart from the faith. So that is the reason why Yehovah had commanded His feast to be kept for all the generations so that we will understand both Yeshua's first coming and His second coming. So there are a dress rehearsal for the prophetic events that are about to happen in the near future. Just like when we had uh, our uh, marriage dinner, they had the dinner and you do a ma uh, marriage wedding practice for that one day when the event actually happens you're ready so here on earth we're getting ready for this particular day so in general the most popular way to group the feast is into two groups the spring feast which has already gone and now the fall feast to come after to see the second coming of Yeshua our Messiah so in the spring, it's a particular harvest time, it's the barley harvest, and the first fruits of the barley sheaves happen in the spring. We're in, in God's uh, game plan, a uh, plan of, uh, of the world. We're in the summer harvest season, which is the wheat harvest, and it's represented by two leaven loaves or wave offering. 
And then in the future, it's going to be the fall season where they uh, harvest grapes and the fruit of the vine. So the four festivals that make up the spring feast that already has occurred with Yeshua's first coming is Pesach, which was uh, giving of his body for sacrifice. And the second feast was Hag Hagatzah, which is the feast of unleavened bread, which signifies his, his sinless body. And then there was Hag Habikurim, which was the first fruits, which means Yeshua resurrected from the grave on the third day. And they were also celebrating the birthday of the church, the giving of the Holy Spirit at Shavuot, Pentecost. So just as the spring feasts were fulfilled in the exact order at the first coming of the Messiah, we can't be sure that the fall feast will be fulfilled exactly in the order of the second coming of the Messiah. So right now we're in the summer months and this comes in the season of the labor in the fields where the church are out in the fields, labor even down Barakan, and we labor out there. And sometime you might end up in heaven and someone come up to us and say, Thank you guys. Because of you guys, I turned from my ways and I turned my life to Yeshua. And I will be reaping the harvest. So this is the time when Yeshua says, Open your eyes and look at the fields, they are ripe unto harvest. So all of us are called to go and harvest at least something. So the, in Nisan 14, 15, and 16, it was the spring feast. We're in the church age, and we celebrated Yom Teruah uh, last week, part of the fall feast, and we were celebrate and learn about Yom Kippur today. So the fall feasts are the shadows of Messiah's second coming. So in, in the passages in Revelation, it talks about the grapes or the wine press of his wrath and that wrath is to come for those who have uh, put off Yeshua. And we looked at Leviticus 23, Yom Teruah, which is the feast of the blowing of the shofar, which is a Kodesh, sacred ikra, a sacred convocation. So the history of Rosh Hashanah, which is not a biblical name, we found out last week, it traces back to Babylon, so Tishri of the Babylonian origin, they have their own uh, New Year's. It's uh, to uh, look at the king Akitu, which means beginning. So the biblical origin of always was sacred and was commemorated with the blast of the Shofar. Within the Tanakh, the Torah, and the Evim, and the Ketuvim, you see the sounding of the Shofar throughout scriptures. So it was always called biblically Yom Teruah, but secularly, it was called Rosh Hashanah, it says, from Mishneic times, from probably 300 BC up until to now. So the Jews believe on this day was a day of creation of the world, and they also believe it was uh, the day Adam was created. And they believe, the Jews in Mishnah, that God takes stock of creation and everything and everyone involved in creation. And he directs his hand throughout the events every day throughout the new year. And how we act today is gonna to result how our, the remainder of the year for us will look. It might be harmful or it might be joyful. 
And what we saw last week with our sofa blower over there, the green sofa blower, we call him the tokea, the person who blows the shofar. So the tekia is a different sound, the shevalim and the teru'ah. And the, so there are 99 blasts that they blow. And the teru'ah always has to be bookend with the tekia. And you can put in a chevalier in between, but there's 99 blasts. But when the blower, the tokea, gets to the 100th blast, he takes his deep breath and he blows as long as he can. The tekia get the love. And that's the blast that Paul was speaking about in 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians. And the, the Jews use this as an illustration that God first breathed life into Adam when humanity was created. And he even can take life with the shofar and the taking down of the walls of Jericho. Now we didn't do this last week, the tashlik, um, where everybody would be casting off the things, that, the sins in their lives. That's what tashlik means, the casting off. So symbolically what it means is throwing away sins from the previous year. How many of you get planning sins from the previous year in your pocket? <laughs> So what they would do is take the bread and toss it into the water. So when we were at the ranch, we used to get rocks and throw it over the bushes. And the road was like right down below. So I don't know if any cars are hit. I think we got some bread and we'll put a table out there and everything. Cast your sins out there. Even though we don't want to sin, but we get, there's a sin that besets men yeah, there. Really troubles men. Certain things happen in life. Certain things people cannot see. Anger or whatever it is. You know, short the short fuse is hard to. Uh, so if you get anything that besets you, you put some bread on the table out there after, and you go out there and use it as a. For this coming year, you will work on getting rid of that one sin that besets you. Not all of them. Just one. <laughs> Must be hard in the wall one time. Lastly, it's not. Just give it to the Lord. So when they do that, they hope that they begin the new year afresh. But as believers, our life starts afresh. Right? We become a new creation. But the new creation, sometimes the old man always gets off of the altar and the old man wants to go and live that life again. But we gotta smash it down. So they usually do it on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. But if it's a high holy day, it occurs on Shabbat, which happened last week, then they do it on the second day of uh, Rosh Hashanah. So we leave on table, yeah, they do that. You guys can actually draw the fishes in. <laughs> so, so it's pretty good, you know, it's a win-win situation. And then we looked at the Feast um, to the Days. So if you look at the Feast of Trumpets, it occurs on the 1st of Tishri and atonement occurs on the 10th and tabernacles on the 15th so I had shown that to show us that if you believe that the rapture of the church is pre-trib then trumpets is in the correct spot if you believe that the rapture is mid-trib then you would have to move the feast of trumpets to maybe the 12th of uh the day after Yom Kippur. So you would have to move God's appointed times 
to make a mint tree. Some people even believe in three-quarter tree. So you have to move it even closer to tabernacles. And then of course there's post tree, where you have to put the Feast of Trumpets after tabernacles. So that's why God's appointed time and the, the best answer is a pre-tribulational rapture. And that is why the feasts give a very strong uh, argument for a pre-trib rapture. A lot of people say it's a new thing, it's a new idea, but nobody believed that could happen until 1948 and then the formation of the Jewish state, right? 1967. Now, you can look at it like everything God said, He said, he said in His Word, that's will come to pass. So we look at Yom Kippur today. It is observed on the 10th of Tishri. When is that? Monday? Monday. So Monday? So Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. It's the most important Jewish holiday of the year. Along with Yom Teruah. And it symbolizes the Book of Life being sealed. So on um, Yom Teruah, the books are open. So there's, how many books you know there is in the, in the Bible? You know, there's the Book of Life, where every single human being ever born is in the Book of Life. There's also the Lamb's Book of Life, where every single person who comes to Yeshua is in that book. So in the Book of Life, you can't be blotted out of that book. But in the book, the Lamb Book of Life, you cannot be blotted out. Hallelujah. So that is where eternal security comes in, right? If you understand the books and you understand the God. So from uh, Yom Terah, Rosh Hashanah, these books are open. There's also another book that's open. It's called the Book of the In-Betweens. So if you're not saved, you're not in the Book of Life or not in the Lamb's Book of Life, you can still have chance for salvation. So hopefully by the time Yom Kippur comes upon upon you, you will have salvation. So, so yeah, the, the in-between is is uh, a Vishni uh, tradition. But it kind of makes sense because you have chance all the way through the tribulation to trust in Yeshua. And once you trust in Yeshua during the tribulation, you will be have you will have eternal life, right? But your head will get probably cut off. But there are going to be people who make it through the tribulation yeah. in their body. So those are the ones who are going to repopulate the messianic kingdom when they come through. So there will be a time when you will be you be in between. Either way, receive life or you will receive death. It's totally up to you. So it's a solemn day of fasting and you seek God for reconciliation. And it marks the chance for repentance. So from Rosh Hashanah until uh, Yom Kippur, they go out and do good works, they give to the poor, they do all these things. Like Catholicism in some instances to get into God's good graces. So for Christianity, we believe that once we believe in Christ, then we do good works. For other religions, you do good works in hoping you appease your God, 
and you hope that you might get into heaven or wherever it is. Now this Rosh Hashanah, uh, Yom Kippur, it only amends the sins against Yehovah, not the sins against one another. So in Leviticus 23, it says, uh, verse 26, And the Lord spoke unto Moshe, saying, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So scripturally, you're supposed to afflict your soul, not your body. But today, since there is nowhere to, to uh, give a sacrifice, they afflict their bodies also. It's a physical affliction. This is what's going to happen through the tribulation. They're going to get not only afflicted in their souls, but afflicted in their physical bodies. And it says, you shall have do no work on that same day. So any of, if any of you work on Monday, for it will say is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. In verse 30. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Shabbat of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate Shabbat. So what is the meaning of Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. Yom, how many of you know what Yom means? Day, alright. What about Kippur? <laughs> it means uh, kafar. It does mean to cover. It's from the word kafar, to cover. So atonement means to cover your sins, right? But what did Yeshua do? He removed them. As far as the east is from the west, showed it to the ocean. So on Yom Kippur, the high priest was to make a covering for the sins of Israel that was committed in that year. And the interesting thing is, we see the high priest also had to make a sacrifice for himself because he was sinful also. And that's how Yeshua's sacrifice was more than the blood of wood because his one not only covered it, but removed it. And so now we walk around you know, without sin. And we sin less and less, but in God's eyes, we're holy. So the Feast of Yom Kippur, again, it shows that um, it falls on the 10th day of Tishri, which is the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. And again, it falls between the Feast of Trumpets on the 1st and the Feast of Tabernacles on the 15th. So it falls in between the 1 and the 15th on the 10th. So again, if you're pre-trib, perfect. If you're mid-trib, you gotta move God's trumpets after atonement. And if you post-trib, you gotta move it after tabernacles. So God has shown us in the past His, uh, His plan for us. So what is the focus of Yom Kippur? On this day, 
is a day of national repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So when the first temple was standing, the Day of Atonement was only a temporary measure until the next year, when the whole process would be repeated. So for, since Moses, a couple thousand years, you have to every year bring your bull, your goat, whatever. He only had a pigeon here to bring that. That was pretty rough. Now, we got it easy today, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't even have to do those things. We just, by faith, like, when they looked in the desert, getting bit by snakes, they looked at that banner lifted high. They just looked on it, they were saved. So the Passover lamb was only a picture of the greater fulfillment of Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur is the rehearsal will come to an end when the prophetic scene will be fulfilled. So one day Yeshua, I mean, we sing the birth pangs today. When he said, when good is evil and evil is good, uh, you look up and I'm coming. And today, I mean, you look, so much uprising, civil war. I mean, Black Lives Matter, they're telling the courts how to judge people, right? They want, they want all the manuscripts, they want everything done. So the Lord said, when things look, uh, when evil is good and good is evil, look up. But there's one thing about Yeshua then. He says, where sin abounds, what else abounds? His grace still abounds. So even within all of that hatred and stuff, He's still willing that some all be saved, but all will not be saved, but He's still reaching them. So even those people who just Trump haters and American haters or uh, police, defund the police. So we were at Veritania today, and I don't know how many cops came, at least 10 maybe? I was saying 40 police for 40 days of prayer. <laughs> but they all came and they said, yeah, we gotta come. He says, you guys have the right to protest. I don't know if he was protesting or he was making a point, right? End abortion. We're not protesting, we're just saying end abortion. But I told him, Hey, we back the blue, man. You know, I'm gonna wear my shirt next time I'm going out there. Back the blue, and they were smiling, and you know, what's, what's a good thing? But I mean, he comes and says, "Like, glad you guys are social distancing, and you get your mask. So we just gotta come and ride them down, and then we're on our way." So that was pretty cool. But as soon as one guy leaves, another cop comes. As soon as he leaves, the three cops come. Like, oh man, I don't know if there was their own way of protesting. So the national repentance will one day occur when the nation of Israel comes to the national realization that Yeshua is the Messiah. And when they do that, what's going to happen? In Zechariah, they're going to mourn for this one. It says uh, in 12, 9, It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Yerushalayim a spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So one day, when they get back into a corner in Petra, 
they will look up and cry out, Baruch Haba Hashem Adonai. And Yeshua will come back to the earth and touch the ground. For the rapture, He's going to be in the air. The second coming, He won't be on the ground. He won't touch down. And every eye will see Him. For the rapture, only our eyes will see Him. So that's pretty awesome. So the central idea, the main idea of Yom Kippur is the need for national repentance leading to a national salvation. So the Feast of Yahuwah shows the plan of God to take Israel from that state of disobedience, stiff-necked, alienation from God to redemption and salvation in Yeshua. So it was on Yom Kippur, the only day of the year, that the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies with the blood of the lamb and goats and bulls to present offerings for the atonement, not only for himself, but for the people. And this was the only time during Yom Kippur that he would actually pronounce the name of Yehovah. However he pronounced it, it would be awesome. But we don't know how they pronounce it in many ways. But that was the only time it was uh, suitable. So the high priest was to represent the nation before the Lord from Yom Kippur. So the atonement of the nation was dependent on the high priest doing his job right. So Yeshua did his job right, right? He did his job, he atoned for us. But, but the rabbis taught that, that to safeguard against any problems, a week before that day, the high priest would leave his home and move to the temple and practice every day the Yom Kippur service. So the temple service on Yom Kippur began at dawn on the 10th of Tishri. And the high priest, it should be one of the days that he would have to wash himself fully in the golden laver in the court of the priest. So every day the high priest would put on his garb or do his sacrifices according to the law. But on Yom Kippur, the priest would wear a certain, a different type of garment, a linen garment. So after he was bathed fully from head to toe, and he would put on these linen garments. So this was the priestly garment with all the 12 rocks and all those things. It says um, in Leviticus 16.4, He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body, and he shall be girded with the linen sash. With the linen turban, he shall be uh, attired. And these are the holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. So this is how they depicted the, the linen. It's just the white linen going in. And it's like a picture right, of taking away his sinner, but now he's clothed in white. So this might be the type of white robes we might be wearing during the, our time in heaven. It's a little picture of uh, the tabernacle. And there's that golden neighbor that have the water in the big one. Actually, look like on what? <laughs> we thought the Chinese invented the walk. <laughs> the Jews invented the walk. 
So he would wash himself in front of the in the neighbor, change his clothes, go inside and put the burn incense, and then he would enter into the holy of holies. So the first thing he had to do, change the linen, and what he had to do was to confess his sins over the bull. He was to take his two hands, place them on the bull, and then the blood of that same bull would be later be sprinkled in the Holy of Holies. So the bull was the priest's offering. And that's a pretty appropriate offering, yeah? Because a lot of priests, different religions, they have a lot of bull. So what? I mean, you cannot make this stuff out there. Yeah, you know, yeah. So he confesses his sins and then, then the high priest will move to the eastern side of the altar and the two, two, two goats will be brought in, escorted by these other lower priests, the chief high priest. They walk them in, I don't know if two by two they will talk to the well-trained um, goats. So there were lots placed in the vessel and one is inscribed for Yahweh and one for Azazel, a scapegoat. So the goat chosen for the Lord became the sin offering and the other a scapegoat that would be let loose into the wilderness. And for Azazel, the goat was identified with, he said, he would put a cord of crimson on its horn or on its neck and after the goats were chosen, the high priest returned to the bull. So that's what they say they do. I don't know if that's Mishnah, but that's what they said they would do. There are legends, many legends with this people. So when the priest returned to the bull, he would confess his sins of the priesthood. After that, the priesthood, the high priest would then stay the bull, and his blood would be collected in a bowl. And then uh, one of the attending priest would be stirring the bowl to keep it from clotting. And it says in Leviticus 16:11, and Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. So Yeshua, being sinless, didn't have to give up a sacrifice because he himself was that sacrifice. So after the slaughter, you would take the coals from the altar with the incense and enter the Holy of Holies and you would put the coals in the tray and then the arrow would then be filled with the smoke just covering that mercy seat. Oh yeah, she likes the frankincense and oh, I can't stand it. Amber. Amber. I mean, you go to Middle East and everywhere is frankincense burning and myrrh and oh my gosh. Offering. <laughs> Smog. No matter where you go, they had it burning. It's unreal. So they would take the, grab the bowl of blood and take the blood and you go in the Holy of Holies behind the curtain and you sprinkle that mercy seat seven times. It says that he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger. 
So again, you go out and go to the goat that was chosen for the Lord. And this goat will be slain and his blood will be collected. So this is a picture of a substitutionary right, sacrifice. And exactly what Yeshua was, our substitute. Then the priest would return for the third time to sprinkle the blood of the goat also on the atonement seat. He said that he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring his blood inside the veil, and do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So this goat was for the, um, for the people. The bull was for the priest, and the goat was for the people. And he would sprinkle that upon the mercy seat. Then the priest would then take some of the blood of the bull and the goat and put it on the horns of the altar. And he would sprinkle it again seven times with his finger. So this is like the top view of the blood of the uh, horns of the altar, which is the first thing that you come in when you come into the tabernacle. And he would sprinkle it on the horns. He says, you shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of the atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. So after all of that being cleansed, they bring the live goat. And now they confess the sins of Israel upon that goat. So he comes back, confess the sins of Israel, then a man, probably a priest, would lead the goat off into the wilderness as a picture of carrying the sins of Israel with him, leading him out into the wilderness. It's like giving another chance, headed to that sanctuary city. <laughs> so everybody would wait to receive news if, of the success of the scapegoat being led into the wilderness. So the remains of the bull and the goat that were uh, sacrificed would be then taken outside and burned. Now one of the legends say that for every year, up until the year Yeshua did his sacrifice, the lot would always fall on the one on the right. But when Yeshua died, it would only fall on the one on the right. And they said they would send out the goat with a red, right, a scarlet ribbon on its horns uh, or on its neck, and it would come back and it would be white. But up until the year when Yeshua died, it would remain red because the Jews will now be stuck in their sins until they repent and receive Yeshua as their uh, Messiah. So we went and we saw this Jewish guy and he went, he had a bar mitzvah and all, but he's a doctor. So we said, I told him, so you went to, you got bar mitzvah? He goes, yeah. So you read the law about, you know, you need blood for uh, the forgiveness of sin. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what do you do now for your sin? 
And he looked at me straight in the eye and he go, I don't. He don't see it. And I came right back and said, what you gonna do for that sin? So, just made Jesus a liar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the whole Bible is a lie, right? From the beginning, right? So, uh, we're planning on seeing him another day, a Jewish doctor, and try to see if we can really be a little bit more and let him find salvation in Yeshua, which is the main point of this, is the reconciliation of the Jews with their God, the God of Israel. So the prophetic picture of this feast will be accomplished when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to earth for the battle of Armageddon. How many of you know what is the battle of Armageddon? What does Armageddon mean? It's the Armageddon or Megiddo. Armageddon means the Mount Megiddo. If you go to Israel, there's a mountain of Megiddo. It's actually a tell. A tell is when one civilization is covered by the next and they have a, a hard Megiddo. So they're going to come into this land, the Jezreel Valley, and this is where um, the armies of the Antichrist will meet in this hard Megiddo. So this is from Dr. Frutinbaum. The campaign of Armageddon has eight stages. So assembling in the Valley of Megiddo here is where the allies of the Antichrist will go. And then on the other side is Babylon. So Adonai's allies, while they're meeting here, the Antichrist is meeting there, Adonai's allies will be tearing down and destroying Babylon. When that happens, they would run over here. Um, so the Antichrist was in Babylon, met his allies here. The allies of Yehovah breaks down Babylon. And instead of Satan, I mean, the Antichrist going back to Babylon, he heads straight for Jerusalem. The fall of Jerusalem will come shortly, and that's where um, David will fight. They will have, they will have, they will put up a great fight, but they will not win. So they will chase the Jews from Jerusalem all the way down to Petra, Basra. At Basra is where the Jews. It's a very defensible, defendable place. The mountains, Mount Seir. There's only a little narrow path. That you can go in and we've been there that was one of my um bucket list my bucket list was to go there and we went there and it's very defensible like only one horse can come through yeah and it's that place where the jews as a whole will cry out when that happens yeshua returns to planet earth and then he will fight the battle all the way back to Jerusalem. And he will win. And he will be um, in Jehoshaphat, the valley of Jehoshaphat. All of the, the blood of all the Antichrist armies will go up to the horse's bridle. And then from there, he will make his victorious sin up to the Mount of Olives. So this is the culmination of the tribulation times. And right after this, there'll be a 75-day interval. And right after that, 
the Messianic Kingdom will begin with a feast, a big luau in Israel. Because Yeshua has been victorious. So the Day of Atonement marks the second coming of Yeshua when he reveals himself to Israel because Israel had called upon him. So Yom Kippur will occur seven years after the Feast of Trumpets when the rapture will be accomplished. So it's not actually the, the rapture. The, the rapture can be any time. But it will occur seven years after the signing of the peace treaty between Israel and the Antichrist. So, so far we get what? Two countries? Maybe more countries making a peace agreement with Israel? One day we're going to get ten countries and the Antichrist will be revealed and he will make um, a seven year peace treaty which will only last for three and a half years. So this will be the day that uh, all the Jewish survivors will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And this is the day they all will call upon Jesus. <coughs> so the Jews today, they're stuck in their sins, but they're finding unbiblical ways, ways that are not pleasing to Yehovah. They would grab, if you're a wahini, you grab a hen. If you're a guy, you grab a rooster and you would fling it around three times and then what you would do is cook it and you give it to the poor people oh. and that will be um, you know a good deed for them so the atonement that Yeshua needs that the Bible says you need is the, the blood of certain bulls certain goats certain lambs has been replaced with just any good deeds And this is the time when their names will be sealed in the Book of Life. So usually when you meet somebody on Yom Kippur, you say, Gamar which means may you have a good sealing, like a sealing of your name in the Book of Life that might happen. And that's what they meet with, Gamar Because he's like, wow, I hope you're getting good sealing, man. I hope you get you covered, bro. But if not, oh, jump. So then, when the Book of Life, all people who born, the Lamb's Book of Life, all believers, and then the Mishnah is the Book of In-Betweens, which is kind of like unbelievers, they don't know which way they want to go. They're on the fence, on that, on the fence. So what you in the Book of Life? Yeah, you're in the Book of Life, but then you're not really um, saved, right? You're not really following so you gotta do more good deeds. So the more good deeds you do will outweigh all your bad deeds, which is, I mean, from the beginning, Yehovah had you know, sacrificed the animal, right, to make Adam and Eve clothing. And that was the first sacrifice. And that's why um, Cain's sacrifice wasn't accepted. Because Yehovah already showed them he required blood. So Hebrews says, he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Yeshua was our atonement. And this is a, 
a verse where the Jews actually overlook, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah, they don't. They don't have this in there. They don't need it. Yeah, they don't have it. They don't need it. They it in the Torah portion. So it says, "Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows." Did we esteem him stricken, smitten by God? Like, it was his fault. <laughs> but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. It doesn't mean, right, like today some of the places teach that uh, healing ministry. Healing anything. I mean, God can heal anyone. But that stripes was in the past tense, yeah? you were healed. You are healed, and then when Peter says it, you were healed. So you have the opportunity to be healed once you accept the forgiveness of eternal life and from your sins. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, his, of us all. So Yeshua took it off for the Jew first, and then for, the, uh, for us. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Right? It was past tense. You were healed by what he did on the cross once you accept this salvation. So not every single sickness. Remember we looked some sicknesses were brought on by demons and some were just you know, from the frailty of life because of sin. So Yeshua is our high priest. It says here, for I do not desire brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion. But blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? So Israel has been blinded for a time as a nation. So Israel as individuals, they come to Yeshua, but they were blinded until the last Gentile person accepts Yeshua. Why is that? Because we are now living in the times of the Gentiles, and which will be consummated through the rapture in the church. But Yom Kippur, this comes after that, is only for the Jews. Okay? Because they rejected Yeshua on the basis that all the miracles he did was done by demons, Beelzebub, the prince of demons. So Yeshua being in their midst, they were rejected, saying he was filled with the demon. And because of that, they got to go to this seven-year tribulation. And after that, it says, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness by Yahweh. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. <coughs> So all Israel will be saved. But by the time the end of Yom Kippur takes place, the culmination of the campaign of Armageddon, only one-third will have survived. So if there were, say, 
say three billion Jews, only one billion will survive. I don't know how much Jews there are today. Not that much, how many billions? How many? I think it's seven billion. Seven million. I think so. Oh. So what is one third of seven? Two point, uh, two point, two point three. Two point three. So two point three million. Million would be, and four point six will die. Almost as bad as the Holocaust, eh? yeah. But but the Lord is faithful to His promises. If they believe on Him, He will save them. So this is the time when all Israel will be saved, just as it was written. Thank you. Well, at least we can see what Yom Kippur. You know, Yom Kippur is so deep. You can teach weeks on Yom Kippur. Yeah. But we just need, you know, a convenience. So next week we're going to take a look. We're going to actually celebrate um, Sukkot. So next week we're going to build Sukkot, and then we're going to start a little later, 4:30 or 5 o'clock. And then we're going to build our Sukkot, and we're going to have a kind of big celebration. So my son then getting married the following week, so we're going to have a little something. But they're not going to have their um, reception because of COVID. But we're going to have a little something, a pre-wedding. Awesome. Uh, what is it? Pre-trip. Pre-trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the wedding is a picture. Exactly. Right? Of, uh, <laughs> so it is pre-trip. <laughs> wow. So he married her will be a tribulation, you say? No. The tribulation. Wait. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so next week we will do the little, little note, so I'm just going to have something. I hope my friend can bring his little spin, maybe spin something. Or that, that'll be a week from today. Next week? Yeah, yeah a week pop-up. from today. Yeah. But then they get married the week after, you said. Yeah, so it's like a pre-wedding to yeah. celebrate. Them. Okay. So we're Are we going to sleep overnight?